Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Uh, Frosted Flights are really good. Taken out of context, you would have no idea what any of that was about. We were having fun with the sign-off yesterday, Julian Edelman, with his video announcing his retirement from football. And he had this build-up saying, I'm leaving you with two words, Foxborough forever. And it's like, okay, like, what's that? So anyway, we actually played that yesterday to end the show. We didn't get a chance to react to it. I just thought it was bizarre. It's like this big sell. And I've got two words. Foxborough forever. Anyway, it's uh, PFTPM for an hour. We'll end the show with my interview from earlier this afternoon with former Georgia pass rusher Aziz Ojolari. Excellent interview, despite my involvement in it. Shereen Williams here for an excellent show, despite my involvement in it. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to pull back the curtain for a second, Mike. We had a cola discussion before we came on the air, and I have a great cola story. So Chan Gailey always drank Diet Coke when he, and so when he's placement. with the Cowboys, right? They, product placement. They, so they have a Pepsi contract. The Cowboys do, right? So he would pour it in a cup, and so at his press conference, he's bringing in a cup, and everybody knew it had Diet Coke in it, whatever. The day he's fired, he comes in and he sets down the Diet Coke can right in the front. And it just made me laugh because here he kind of poured it in the cup every time he was employed by the Cowboys. And all of a sudden, he's not employed by the Cowboys and he puts his can right up front. That's pretty good. The Coke product placement when the exclusive licensing deal is with the folks at Pepsi. So he used to pour his Coke into his Pepsi cup? Yes, correct. Oh, wow. Wow. I, there isn't enough of a difference between the two. And I assume you get all the free Pepsi oh, you want Mike. in the Cowboys facility. I would just make the shift from Coke to Pepsi or Pepsi to Coke, depending upon what was free. We I, cannot I'm not be friends. I'm not so discerning. No, I'm just saying if it's free, I don't care. It's <laughs> one or the other. It's no big deal. And actually, I actually think Diet Pepsi is better than Diet Coke, but Coke Zero is better oh, than either right. one, if that makes any sense. It, and, and the Pepsi, I don't like they've got all these different levels of diet soda. I'm trying not to drink any of them that don't have natural sweeteners. This is Zevia. If we're looking for a Zevia deal, all natural sweetener. And uh, not as good as Coke or Pepsi, but at least it doesn't have the chemicals in it. All right, let's get to the program. So this is an issue that has come up a couple of times over the course of the last week or two. And the NFLPA leadership has been posturing it in this direction. They want another virtual offseason program because of concerns about the pandemic. So... They're moving in that direction. Memo sent today by the NFLPA to all players recommending that players choose not to show up. Remember, it's all voluntary except for the mandatory minicamp that every team has one of, a three-day gathering. Everything else in the 
offseason program is voluntary. Now, guys have roster bonuses tied to it. Some have salary de-escalators where if they don't show up for enough of the offseason program, their base salary for the year actually drops. But beyond that, it's truly voluntary. There's no gain. There's no expense if you don't show up. You're not doing anything wrong. But, and this is where it gets complicated for the NFLPA, I believe, it's a competitive industry. It's a zero-sum game. There are 53 jobs that ultimately will be had. There are 11 spots on the starting lineup for the offense. There are 11 spots on the starting lineup for the defense. And, Shireen, my broader concern, and we'll get into the specifics here, but my broad concern is, given the way this specific industry operates, 90 players per team in the offseason, competitive process that whittles it to 53, you're going to have a hard time getting guys who think that choosing to show up makes it more likely or less unlikely that they'll have jobs when September rolls around. There's too much at stake, and it's too unique of a business to expect young players or players who are on the fence, players who think they're destined to get cut, players who are desperate to just say, I got an NFL paycheck for a season. You're not going to be able to convince those guys, I believe, to, to choose to stay away from the offseason program? I think it's going to vary team by team because you look at a team like the Buccaneers that has a ton of veterans that a lot of those guys are going to make the roster. What if Tom Brady calls you up as a young player and says, don't go? I just think these guys are going to be under immense pressure. It's going to be like crossing the picket line back in the strike days for, for some of these guys on these veteran teams because they're going to be under intense pressure from these veteran players. And I think some of these teams are going to have, like they did last season, like Tom Brady orchestrated at the local high school. They'll just have their own workouts away from the team. I can see that happening on some of these teams. But you look at a team like the Jaguars, like the Texans, who have a ton of new players, who have new coaches, I don't see many of those guys staying away. I think you're going to see a lot of those players show up on those teams. So I do think, Mike, that it's going to vary team to team. But those young guys are going to want to go for obvious reasons. They need to learn the offense or the defense or whatever. They need to learn how to play special teams if that's what they do. To get a chance to make a roster, you have a better chance if you're in the offseason program if you're a young guy. There's so many different ways this can go. Let's use the Tom Brady example. If you are a young player on the Buccaneers and you get the phone call just after you sign your contract as an undrafted free agent following the three-day draft that's coming up in 16 days – Brand new, Buccaneers. This is great. I know I'm going to have a hard time making the roster, but I'm really going to go and try. I've always been a starter. I've always been a good player. I believe in me. I think I can do it. I'm ready to go work. Tom Brady calls and says, don't show up. First of all, I agree with you. It's going to be difficult for that person to not show up, especially if that person plays receiver and ever wants the ball thrown to him by Tom Brady. But is Tom Brady going to make that call? Now, maybe on a different team, that call gets made. On the Buccaneers, where the obvious quest is for Super Bowl championship number eight for Tom Brady, is he going to choose to not take advantage of the organized offseason program where the NFL has figured out how to keep guys virus-free? I mean, they're going to work out anyway. What happened last year? The union told players, don't work out on your own. What did they do? They worked out on their own. Guys are going to get, gonna want to get ready for the season. So I, I don't know 
how many teams at the end of the day are really going to be able to hold this together? Maybe teams that don't expect to be competitive, like the Broncos. They're one of the teams that that have decided to boycott the voluntary offseason program. I mean, if the Seahawks, the other team that so far has voted, or however they got to this point, decided not to participate in the voluntary offseason program, if they say no, if you're the Rams or the 49ers or the Cardinals, do you respond to that by saying, good, good, stay away. We're going to show up and we're going to work. I think the fact that we're seeing this piecemeal and it's not all 32 teams at one time, I mean, unless they're trying to command the news cycle for three days and they're going to have these statements in dribs and drabs, I I, I just, I, I don't think it ends well. I think there are going to be too many teams that choose to do it. And let's say that Tom Brady decides to be a good union brother. We're not going to go. We'll, we'll boycott along with everyone else. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to the high school down the street, and we're going to do our program there. Well, you know what? Any of the guys that show up have no protection if they get injured. None. None. You get injured, you tear an ACL, you don't get your salary for the year. They can put you on the non-football injury list. You show up to the team facility, and you get injured there, you're covered. So I, I, I just think that because of the competitive realities within each team for jobs and the competitive realities between and among teams when it's time to play games and guys want to get ready to play, I just think they're going to have a hell of a time holding it together, especially because, Shereen, look, and I always support the players when they fight with the owners because I don't think the players get a fair shake, and I think the players, because they won't strike, they never get the best deal they can. I think this is a mistake because I think at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of guys. You mentioned the picket line. There's going to be a lot of guys crossing that picket line just like they did in 1987, and the strike fell apart. This offseason, Mike, maybe this is a good example. I don't know. The Broncos had 22 players at the practice facility this offseason, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Media. They were second to the Cowboys, who had 25 there are about a dozen teams that have 15 or more players show up. So they have not been getting a good response to players going to team facilities. Pull the curtain back on this. A lot of players don't live in the city where they play football. They go elsewhere. A lot of coaches, too, by the way, live elsewhere in the offseason. They go home for the offseason. It's why the Packers have a ton of guys with, with bonuses tied to being there in the offseason program. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, this is according to uh, SI's Albert Breer, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers has a huge one. He's one of those guys at 500,000 bonus. Kenny Clark has 600,000. The Packers have a ton of players with these huge bonuses tied to going back to Green Bay to work out in the offseason for obvious reasons because they don't want to stay in Green Bay in the offseason. They have homes elsewhere in the offseason where they go and participate. I'm wondering, Mike, how much of this, with these piecemeal statements coming out, we're going to have more of them over the next few days, how much is it to put pressure on the NFL to say we are going all virtual? We know they're supposed to start on Monday with two weeks of virtual, and then they're going to reassess, which we know they want to go to in-person after two weeks. Is this to put pressure on the NFL to say, okay, you're fine, we're not going to have virtual? I don't think it's going to work, but I'm wondering if this is a ploy here to get the NFL to respond. Oh, I think it is. I think it is. And you know what? They had their leverage when they figured out the salary cap for this year. I thought that would be the moment where 
the NFLPA extracted from the NFL as part of the agreement to the final salary cap number because it's always a negotiation. Every year, it's the result of a negotiation between league and union. Even though there are formulas that are at play, the two sides agree to what the salary cap is going to be. I thought the union would get from the league a commitment that it would be a virtual offseason again. But maybe they tried, and the league's position is, look, I, I, let's let's listen to Tyler Lockett. I got a lot more I could say. Let me say this before we listen to Tyler Lockett. I wanted to mention the Aaron Rodgers thing because, first of all, it's no secret. You can get his contract anywhere. It's a $500,000 workout bonus that he has. Do you really think he's not going to show up and let Jordan Love have all the first-team reps and <laughs> get ready and get better? Do you really think? And also, Aaron Rodgers is pissed at the union. He was the union rep. He's not happy with the deal they did last year. Do you think he's going to listen to union leadership now? Or is his attitude, screw you? I don't like the way you do business. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to refuse to show up. I just don't. Here's Tyler Lockett, the Seahawks receiver, talking about this issue of virtual offseason programs. There was a statement that was put out, and um, all the words were pretty much said in a statement. I think that last year, you know, we did a virtual offseason. Nobody expected it to happen. And it worked out perfectly fine um, just because of the pandemic and the global um, shutdown and everything that took place and that's happened. And um, so in the statement, it's also refer, um, referred in there that, um, you know, we also want to do a virtual this year. Do you, do you feel safe working out in this facility now? I'm not at the facility. I mean, like, if uh, is like it a matter you don't feel safe going there now? Um. I mean, honestly, I don't feel safe anywhere. <laughs> I don't feel safe even in my own house. So, I mean, unless I stay in my house forever, I know I'm going to be good. But, I mean, at some point, you you got to try to get back to some type of normalcy. And so, I mean, but it doesn't matter. I can go to a gas station and touch the pump. You know what I mean? I can get traded cash. Like, I mean, nobody's going to feel safe. I hope he's not the star witness in support of the boycott the offseason workout program. If you're not safe anywhere, why not go to the team facility? Why not go work out there? You know, I was not a fan of the argument that was made by the powers that be in college football last year that we should go ahead with the season because the players are safer here than they would be anywhere else. Because the college football coaches wanted the, the big mamu. They wanted their money. So I just was wired to assume that anything they said was BS. But Shireen, in this setting, what did we learn last year? Where is the safest place a pro football player can be based upon the ability of the NFL to get through the season, except for a brief period of time in Tennessee, a brief period of time in Baltimore, a little bit of time in Cleveland, right? There wasn't a single Seahawks player that tested positive all year. How can you say it's not safe to go to the facility? This is, to me, plain and simple, a ploy by the veterans to not give young players in a year where there will be extra incentive to cut expensive guys and save cap dollars. They want to avoid, and I'm calling it like I see it, folks. They want to avoid giving the young players the chance to prove themselves. So the coach says, or the GM says, or the owner says, wait a minute. We got this guy who's making $700,000 this year. We got this guy who's making $7 million. We can bank $6.3 million. We're cutting one of them. We can bank $6.3 million in cash and cap space in a year where the cap's down. And we can carry that over to next year if the cap's still down relative to what it would have been. I think that's what the leadership of the NFLPA, 
primarily if not exclusively consisting of veteran players whose interests conflict with the young players who are trying to get jobs. That's what I believe is going on, Shereen. The only thing I would argue that it's not the same as in the season is the offseason program, they go, most teams go Monday to Thursday, right? So players fly back home Thursday night and they're away from the team facility and then wherever they live and then they fly back into town Sunday night. So they're around other people, they're flying, they're doing those things that they didn't do during the season. That's the only reason I would say it's different than what occurred in the season. And I don't know, and I, I've read somewhere that testing is uncertain how they're going to exactly how they're going to do testing for these guys. I assume there will be some sort of testing. We've seen college football teams have to pause because of COVID. COVID's not gone yet. However, having said all this, I do think this is bigger than COVID, Mike. I do think that many veteran NFL players don't ever want an, uh, an in-person off-season program again. They look at other sports and go, why are we having an off-season program? No other sport does this. No other sport has their players show up, most of them unpaid in the off-season, to do this. So I do think this is bigger than COVID. I think this is a ploy by the union to get away from, from off-season programs, period. And it's going to be very entertaining to watch how many guys show up and how many guys don't show up to teams. And can you get a practice done if you only have 25 players, if you don't have your starting quarterback there? It's just going to be fascinating to me to watch how this plays out over the next couple of weeks. This is the first attempt at collective union action since the 1987 strike that failed after three yeah. weeks of replacement players. Players began before that third week to start crossing the picket line. The avalanche eventually followed. I just don't believe it's going to work. I think that, and I think that, first of all, you got a lot of young players who just are disengaged and they don't care. And I think they're smart enough to realize my chances of getting game checks from an NFL team go up dramatically if I do the things that the team wants me to do. And I, I, I just, I, I, they've got to convince me that this is really about COVID because COVID is everywhere. And Shereen, you talk about guys flying home. Look, guys were out in the communities when they left the facilities last year. They resisted the bubble. They still were able to spot guys who were infected, get them away from the rest of the team, and avoid, except for Tennessee, Baltimore, and Cleveland, outbreaks. And I, I just, I, I agree with you. This isn't about COVID. I, I think COVID is the pretext for trying to protect veteran jobs. It worked last year to a certain extent. They'd like it to work again this year. They want the younger, cheaper players, especially with a $25 million difference between where the cap would have been and where it is. They don't want those guys to earn playing time, roster spots, starting jobs, and bump guys to the curb who are expected to make multiple millions of dollars instead of the league minimum. I think it's that plain and simple. And, and I, I just I, I just texted Georgia Tall of the NFLPA spokesman, point blank. I'm having a hard time buying that this is about COVID. I want to see what he has to say. And we'll welcome him, J.C. Treader, Demora Smith, yeah. anyone from the NFLPA board of directors. Let's hash this out because I really don't think it's about COVID. I think it's about protecting veteran salaries. Well, and I think the veteran players feel like they don't need this. It is for the younger guys, right? And so they're more than willing not to go and not to show up. But, yeah, the young guys need it. We, I mean, we've seen that. We don't know how many guys last year didn't make jobs because they didn't get that in-person uh, off-season workout to make an impression with their teams. But we know there are many guys who didn't get that opportunity last year, Mike, that they otherwise would have gotten.
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll see how this plays out. But open invitation to George, to JC, to DeMoris, to anyone else from the union that would like to have that conversation and convince me that this really is about COVID. I just don't think, given where the pandemic currently is, given the fact that you got plenty of guys that aren't going to choose to get vaccinated, it's hard to tell me you're concerned about COVID if you refuse to get vaccinated. I was concerned about COVID. You know what I, Shireen, you know what I did, Shereen? I got vaccinated. I mean, that's, vaccinated. that's the most obvious. You want to prove? You want to prove that you're concerned about COVID? Go get vaccinated. Then what do you have to worry about? That's why I think this whole thing is just uh, a house of cards, frankly, and it's going to fall apart. And I guess they figure, what the hell, we may as well try. What, what does it hurt to try? Let's see if it works. If it doesn't, we're in the same spot we would have been in. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. You go, you try it, you put pressure on the NFL, you see what happens, roll the dice, and and two weeks into this thing, we'll see where they are, if they're going to cave and, and give in to not having in-person workouts or if they're going to continue uh, with the virtual. All right. The NFL also has instructed teams to set up vaccination sites for players and staff. It was a memo that was sent to all teams today. And, you know, what the NFL is going to do now, it's got much greater power over its non-player employees when it comes to telling them thou shalt get a vaccine or there will be significant limits on what you can do if you don't get vaccinated. They've opted not to try to mandate vaccinations for the players, but if you ultimately do have incentives for players and teams that have been vaccinated, and I think the NBA has a level of reduced restriction for teams that have 85% vaccination rates, that's how you convince guys to do it. Look, everyone needs to do it. Everyone needs to commit to doing it. And I know there's going to be that fringe out there that says it's Bill Gates mind control, or I read something about six people out of 7 million having blood clots. Well, that's a lot better than more than six people out of 7 million dying from COVID. So I, I, I really wish, and I, you know, we covered the comments last week from Josh Allen where he said he wasn't sure what he was going to do. I just really wish these guys would understand they need to use their platform, even if they don't actually get it. Tell people you're getting it. Tell people they should get it. I wish everyone would get it, but I think it's even more yeah. dangerous when people who are in a position of influence express doubt about the vaccine. We all need to commit to it. And it's easy for me to say that because I've had it and I didn't have any side effects. And was I a little concerned? Yes. But I, I knew that the only way we're going to get to the other side of this thing is if we all get vaccinated, period. So that's what the NFL needs to try to encourage. That's what the I think the union's efforts as it relates to player health and safety, as it relates to COVID, would be far better spent, Shireen, getting guys to get vaccinated, not trying to get guys to stay away from the offseason program. Absolutely. I get my second on Saturday, Mike, and I'm a little concerned, as you were, what the side effects are going to be on Sunday and Monday and down the road and whatever, but it's the safest thing. I've played tennis the last two Mondays, and two of the women I've played both lost their husbands in the last six months to COVID. So getting the vaccine and the side effects of that are far better than losing yourself or losing someone else to COVID. I mean, surely after a year of this, you either are related to someone or you know someone, friend, yes. co-worker, extended member of the family that you maybe don't see all that time, who's died from it. There's too many people who have died from it for, for it not to have touched you in some way. And that's what the union should be doing. That's what the league should be doing. Spending this lull between free agency and the draft, not talking about fears of COVID and why guys should stay away from the offseason programs, but fears of COVID and why guys should go get themselves 
vaccinated along with everyone else who has access. And we're at the point where anyone who wants the shot should be able to get it fairly quickly. Let's take a break. When we return, Julian Edelman says he's retired. I'm skeptical. So is a former teammate in New England. We'll let you hear what Gronk had to say about Julian Edelman's retirement in only the way Gronk can. We'll be right back. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Is there any chance that he ends up in Tampa Bay with you guys next year? Has a 69% chance. <laughs> yeah. A 69% chance? Where are you getting that number from? Can I ask? Uh, that's just, you asked if there's a chance. I give you a number. <laughs> All right, look, do you think he can see he has another year in him? Yeah. You He'll do? He'll be back. He'll be back? He'll be back. You think? There's Gronk on brand asked whether or not he thinks Julian Edelman will be a Buccaneer in 2021. Only Gronk would say there's a 69% chance. His second response about Edelman emerging from retirement, more unequivocal than 69 it sounded more like 99.999 shereen this meshes with the first thing i thought yesterday when i saw that edelman had been released and even after watching that video that video is not binding i still remember watching the press conference when brett Favre bald and squalled and unretired three times after that nothing prevents a guy from coming back as of right now julian edelman says i was going to play until the wheels came off the wheel came off well between now and november or december They can put the wheel back on. That's what wheels do. They come off, they get put back on. You get a hammer, you bang it back into place. And I think that's what Julian Edelman is going to think about doing, try to do. And ultra cynical view, I checked with the league. Since he's been cut, he won't be tested under the PED policy. He can go use whatever he was using when he got busted three years ago. And I feel comfortable saying this because he did get busted for PEDs. Do what you have to do. Take what you have to take. Get yourself back to the point where your knee's in good shape. Cycle off. Show up. Get tested. Be clean. Play for the Buccaneers. Pursue what, for him, would be Super Bowl number four. I, I, I am going to be surprised if that doesn't happen. Not, not the PED stuff. I, that, 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 let's just, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying that he could if he wants to. I'm going to be surprised if we don't see Julian Edelman back, especially after hearing what Gronk had to say. 
first, Mike, when I'm watching the Gronk video, the first thing that came to my mind was we've talked a lot about the number changes, right? Going to single digits. I wish the NFL would just open it up because you know what number that Rob Gronkowski is going to pick to wear, right? He's going to wear 69 if he would get that opportunity. Of course, he doesn't have that opportunity. Is it going to get that opportunity? But I could see him wanting that jersey number. But to Edelman, yeah, Mike, there, there's a possibility that he's going to come back and play for the Buccaneers. I think there's a good possibility if that knee can get healed enough to get him back on the field. I just feel that. And the key was that he got released. He's not on the retired list. He's released. He can go do what he wants to do. He played six games, one start this past season with a bad knee and, and had his career best in yards per catch, over 15 yards per catch this season. He could still get downfield for six games. Can he do it for a whole season? It doesn't sound like it. But if you get him back in December, he's ready for the postseason run. He knows the offense. Hey, nothing precludes you from giving him the playbook right now, as a matter of fact. You could let him start learning the playbook whenever. But, you know, I could see him coming back and playing for that postseason run and then being ready for the postseason. And we know what he does in the postseason. That's when he's been at his best. There's a subtext to all that, and I'm glad you pointed it out because it's entirely possible that the Patriots pushed him to retire, and he said, I don't really want to retire. I don't really want to. Well, we're going to cut you then. So they cut him. He retires. It's this big production. I, it just doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't he just go on the reserve retired list? See, doing it this way, it avoids what happened with Gronk. Gronk went on the reserve retired list, and then the Buccaneers had to give up draft pick compensation to get Rob Gronkowski. This gives Edelman the free and clear ability to come back if he's healthy enough. And Shereen, I still can't reconcile the retirement with the report last week from Karen Garrigian of the Boston Herald that it's doubtful that Edelman will be able to play every game this year. That implies that he can play some. And that fits with this idea. You bring him in late. You get him up to speed in December. He's ready to go for the postseason you can end up having a guy who helps you win games. You know, they added Tom Brady's equivalent to James White with Gio Bernard. Their equivalent to Julian Edelman very well could be Julian Edelman, and that's next level of this Buccaneers offense, having that guy who shares a brain with Tom Brady. Brady knows where he's going to be. He knows where Brady's going to throw it. They know exactly how to make it work, and I suspect that Edelman is going to be doing everything he can between now and whenever, trying to get that knee to respond. And the only reason, again, I mention the fact that he's free and clear for PED testing is because he's already been suspended once. If he had never been popped, I wouldn't have even thought of it. But this is a way to do whatever you feel like you have to do that may not comply with the NFL's PED policy to get the knee to recover, and then you come back and you have one last ride and you try to win Super Bowl number 4 and walk off into the sunset as a champion. He has more targets and more catches than any other receiver from Tom Brady in history. I mean, the two are BFFs on the field. There's no doubt about that. Brady trusts him. He knows where he's going to be. And in big-time games, in big-time moments, as Brady said in his statement yesterday, that's the guy he goes to. I don't think anyone is going to be surprised if at some point during this season, Julian Edelman signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If he signs somewhere else, I will say yes. I'm surprised he signed anywhere else. But I am not going to be surprised if he returns at some point this season with the Buccaneers, Mike. 
April Fool's Day is an occasion for guys to, under the guise of joking, letting us know what they really want. And Julian Edelman's April Fool's Day gag was to joke that he may be heading for the Buccaneers, and I don't think it was entirely a joke or at all a joke. We'll see how it plays out. One more point on Edelman. We've talked before about Hall of Fame. Shereen, you have a vote. I don't. I don't want one. That's my cover for never being offered one. But I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's done enough. Heinz Ward's a Super Bowl MVP. Heinz Ward's got incredibly greater statistics regular season. There's a lot of other guys who are more rewarding. But let's let Gronk have the word on it for now. Here's more from that TMZ walk and talk with Rob Gronkowski on whether or not Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. A lot of people are asking now that he's done, is he a Hall of Famer? Jules? Yeah, he's he's a Patriot Hall of Famer for sure. A Patriot Hall of Famer? 100%. NFL Hall of Famer? Uh, I definitely think he has a great possibility of being a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, the, the regular season numbers maybe fall a tad short. His postseason numbers are incredible, right? Yeah, he's a beast. Uh, and it, I mean, the numbers just don't show everything that he brings to the table. Uh, Two quick observations. One, there's a greater than 69% chance that your mask isn't going to work if you don't cover your nose. Two, Gronk tried to be very diplomatic there. He evaded the question, oh, he's a Patriots Hall of Famer. Well, what about the one that people really care about? Well, he's definitely got a great possibility. Look, the regular season numbers aren't nearly good enough. Postseason numbers, awesome. Regular season, not even close to having the discussion, Shireen. And I've seen the argument made, well, he was stuck behind Wes Welker. Well, if you're a Hall of Famer, you should be able to run Wes Welker to the sideline. And you should be the slot receiver if you're ultimately going to have a Hall of Fame career. You don't have a Hall of Fame career based upon the fact that guy finally got a chance to start and he played pretty well. No. Your full career, your full body of work is what dictates whether or not you get in. And I just think that the the regular season isn't there, especially given all the receivers nowadays that have numbers that that dwarf the Julian Edelman career numbers. I've said for a long time that you don't use Pro Bowls as much anymore as an indicator of whether a guy is a Hall of Famer or not, because we have normally, last year was an aberration because of COVID, Normally, we have over 100, 100 Pro Bowlers every single year because of the Super Bowl. Participants don't play in the Pro Bowl and because of injury replacements. There's a ton of guys. Everybody makes a Pro Bowl. Everybody makes multiple Pro Bowls. The only time you use Pro Bowls for an argument for the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, and what I look for when I'm looking at Hall of Famers, is if you don't have enough. And when you have zero Pro Bowls, that tells me that you were not ever one of the top receivers normally in your conference. Sometimes we didn't do it by conferences when Julian Edelman played, but you were not even one of the top receivers in your conference. That to me is huge when you're talking about Hall of Fame. Forget all decade, forget all pro because he wasn't any of that either. And then if you just want to talk about a stat, 75th in career catches, 156 ahead of Larry Centers barely in yards. His 36 career touchdowns don't even rank in the top 200. He's not a Hall of Famer. He was a great player in the postseason. Maybe you compare him to Terrell Davis, but Terrell Davis was better in the regular season for a shorter period of time. But Terrell Davis made all pros, made Pro Bowls. 
with Julian Edelman, to me, he just wasn't good enough in the regular season to be considered for the Hall of Fame. And that's okay. He was very good. He has a Super Bowl MVP. He did a, a lot of great things. He's in the Hall of Very Good, and, and that's great. It, not everyone has to go in the Hall of Fame. It diminishes it when we talk about guys who don't belong in there. And I don't think he belongs in there. He had a great career. That should be good enough, Mike. I agree completely. And the one thing that you didn't mention, we talked about it in reference to other guys, that PED black mark on the resume, not something that comes up very often in the room. That's another knock against him. Let's take a break. When we return, the Falcons may be considering a quarterback at number four. And there's a new running back in Arizona. More PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. No mystery at number one in the draft. Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence. No mystery at number two. Jets most likely, undoubtedly, I don't know. Barring a major surprise, take Zach Wilson. Number three, a little bit of drama. Number four, a lot of drama. There's been reports that GM Terry Fontenot of the Falcons, head coach Arthur Smith, not on the same page, about Matt Ryan over the next few years. Do they go quarterback? What do they do? What do they not do? The Falcons reportedly will have some folks at Justin Fields' Pro Day Workout 2 coming up in Columbus. And there was a report last week from Orlando Ledbetter, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I've heard the same thing, that... The two men are on the same page now, whatever it is. And I think they got on the same page because the owner made it clear what he wants. We'll just find out the first night of the draft because, Shireen, they're in a great strategic posture where they could potentially trade that pick, too. So if you have someone who wants to jump up to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields at four, you need to create the impression you're seriously considering taking one of those guys. That gives you greater value when you jump out of that spot, if that's what you ultimately do. To me, they're where the Lions were last year, right? And Lions had the third overall pick. They ended up sitting there and drafting a cornerback, and they probably should have either drafted a quarterback, Justin Herbert, or traded down on that pick. And that's what I think the Falcons should do. If they like the fourth quarterback in this draft, whoever that is, whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's Justin Fields, if they like that guy, 
you have to think you're not going to be back in the top five for a long time. They haven't been in the top five since they drafted Matt Ryan in the top five 13 years ago. So if you like a quarterback, you do that. You pick him. If you don't, Mike, to me, it's a no-brainer. You trade down and you get a lot of other picks and figure out how you rebuild your roster around Matt Ryan for now. There's still a chance Mac Jones will be there at four. The 49ers are at a minimum enjoying the fact that people don't know what they're going to do, even though they have no reason to keep their cards close to the vest. James Conner signed with the Cardinals. He was available for about a month in free agency, former running back of the Steelers. Here he is earlier today. Do we have time? To play James Conner, here he is talking about his his role on the team and Chase Edmonds, the current starter. Chase doing his thing already, and so you know, I was watching film. I'm like, man, this dude, he can he can ball, and I want to, you know, learn from him, be a part of it, and just get to work with him with Chase. And so, um, I just think, you know, ain't no telling. I can't predict nothing, but I know what I can guarantee is I'm going to come in here and work day in and day out, put my head down and grind, and and uh, you know, I'm in it for the long haul. So. 17-game season. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be interesting to see how much the Cardinals are paying James Conner. My sense is it's not that much. This is a guy who is a great story, overcame cancer, but the running back position, it chews you up and it spits you out in the NFL. And if you can't stay healthy on your rookie contract, you have a hard time getting paid on your second contract. And that ultimately was the issue for James Conner. Shereen couldn't stay healthy long enough to be that reliable, durable presence in a backfield. Yeah, missed 12 games over the last three seasons. Mike never played a full 16-game season. He'll get that chance now. Well, actually, it'll have to be 17 games with the Cardinals. But I do like the signing. We'll see how it works out for him. Yes, we will. And what we'll see when we return, we'll see and hear from one of the top pass rushers in this year's draft class, Aziz Ojolari from Georgia. You'll see my interview with him from earlier today. That's next here on PFTPM. Joining us now, one of the top pass rushers in the 2020 draft class. He's George's Aziz Ojolari. Aziz, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Appreciate it. Oh, doing great. Great to talk to you. Always great to talk to the guys who are getting ready to have their lives change in a dramatic way. Here we are, 16 days out from the first round of the draft. What kind of emotions and thoughts and ideas go through your head as you get closer and closer to finding out what your future is going to be? Yeah, I'm just excited. I'm just ready, and I'm just you just can't wait for the moment, really. Where will you be when the draft starts? Uh, I will be – we have – so we have this, like, spot that I'll be using. It's over in Fayetteville. That is where I'll be at. So it's an Ubian house. So uh, you, you've had a great career at Georgia, one of the reasons why you're regarded as one of the top pass rushers in the class. What's your proudest moment when you reflect on the time that you were a, a Bulldog? What stands out? Yeah, I'll just say just playing with my brothers, team, my teammates, just being there every day, just working every day, working hard, just just working for that uh, end goal, just to win, win games, win championships. We uh, we didn't get to win the national championship or go to it, but we got an opportunity to play in great bowl games like the Peach Bowl, Sugar Bowl, and just winning those big bowl games. Uh, New Year's Six Bowls was just big. It was just a fun time with my teammates, really. Is there a game or a moment that stands out to you, Aziz, as something that, that was more significant than any others at Georgia? Yeah, the, the last game. Actually, the last game uh, at the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati, it was, it was different. It was big. 
I came along huge in that game, and it was just the, the greatest. It was a great game overall. What did it mean to you to be a team captain as a freshman? Uh, it just it just meant a lot, just knowing that the guys believe and trust in me as a young guy, just doing everything the right way, and just having that, just knowing that you could be counted on as a young guy. What's your leadership style? Are you vocal, or do you lead by example, or some of both? Uh, I'm a more uh, lead by example type of guy. One thing that I've seen that you do, which creates a very good example for people like me, you keep your area very clean. How did you become a guy who likes everything clean and in order? Definitely. Uh, just uh, always growing up, I've always been that type of guy just to be clean and neat and organize everything I do. It's, it's a must for me because it just makes my life easier and everything goes smoothly when everything is neat, clean, and organized. And that's, that's the way I, lo I love it. That's the way I like it. Now your brother BJ at LSU, how much is he like that? Because if he's not, I'm sure that has to be a little <laughs> aggravating. You want things a certain way and he may not care. Nah, he's like that too, definitely. He, we're both like that, just growing up, you know, same household. So it's just part of it's part of us now, and it's just with us, and we're going to keep it with us forever. So he's like that too. Aziz, when I watch film of your time at Georgia, I see that number 13, which obviously is a number that, that you won't be able to wear at the NFL level. But how did you end up in number 13 in college? Yeah, so uh, I just – they had a list of numbers to choose, and I just was like, I'm just go with one, three. Uh, might as well just go with it. I mean, it was a cool number for me, and I was like, all right, I'm going to just rock, rock with it and see what happens. You know, it's funny. We were talking about this earlier today because today is April the 13th, and uh, it's not Friday the 13th, but it's still the 13th, and some people are freaked out about it. You clearly have no qualms about 13. Nah, nah, I don't. <laughs> Friday the 13th, nah, I don't. What, what number do you want to wear at the next level? Mm. Uh, any, any, well, any uh, D line I saw back in number probably 58, 99, or 91, or 51, one of those. Probably. You said 58 first, Von Miller's number. Is that the guy that you still pattern yourself after? Definitely, big time for sure. What, what things about his game have you tried to incorporate into yours? Just, uh, just being versatile and everything. He, he could do everything on the field at the end position. He could drop in coverage. Uh, rush the passer, you know, stop the run, just make different impact plays, force fumble when he gets sacks, always force fumbles, just change game-changing moments and game-changing game, game plays that he make. And I just see myself just doing that and the way he plays, the way he bends, the way he uses hands. He just – he's a different athlete, different. Do you watch his film and try to try to emulate the things that he does to, to help your own game improve? Yes, sir. Definitely, I do. Just watching some of his film and taking it out to the field on Saturday and that was definitely big for me. Just seeing because the guys I go against are huge and big, just like the guys he go against. Definitely. So just taking the little things and using the things that he used to my advantage on Saturday helped me out a lot. What would you say you do best? What's your best attribute on football field? Uh, I'll say just being able, just being a just being versatile, being able to rush the passer. Stopping the run, just peel. I could peel backs out the backfield. I could cover. So it was just like those, those three things really just big in my game. Best things I do. I've seen you in two point stance, and and then I've also seen kind of that wide nine. All, I, both hands on the ground. Do you put both hands on the ground, or do you keep one a little bit off? Are you going four, or do you go three? Uh, I usually go. I go three. I go three when I get off the ball. It makes it just. It's easier for me. It's just more smoother. When I'm in a three-point stance, like a running track stance, 
when I get off. It just, it just makes it – if I get off, it's faster out of three. What's your favorite pass rush move? Mm, my favorite pass rush move, I call it the long two. With a long arm, a long arm with a stamp, with a club, with a club, a long arm with a club. So what do you do? So I'm basically just getting off on the ball, and I'm sticking my long arm in the tackle chest or whatever, just just to get his uh, hands. I'm trying to get his hands because I go by, if you beat the hands, you beat the man. So if I, if I stick that long, he's going to have to give me something. He's just not going to just let me just stick his, my arm in his chest. He's going to bring his hands, and once he give me his hands, that's when I go with the club, and I'm going right by him with the rip at the end, dipping it rip. You go around to the outside then. Right, outside. Yeah, but I've seen you go inside. I've seen you with the power move. Is this part of the chess match where you'll use different moves based upon what you think the offensive lineman's ready for? Definitely. Yes, sir. You can't, you can't give them everything you, at, at the beginning of the game. You got to uh, just set up your rushes as the game go on. And then, you know, at that time, the moment, you know, when you just boom, just put that power on him when he's least expecting it, and you ride the quarterback. It's, a, it's like a... Chess, not checking. So just take your time with it, and then boom. Once it comes, boom. He, he's not expecting it. You're at the quarterback. Different kind of year as the draft approaches. There was no scouting combine this year. You had your pro day workout. You're allowed to talk to as many teams as you want and as want to talk to you. Who have you heard from the most via Zoom or otherwise as we've gotten closer to the draft? Yeah, so uh, I've been talking to plenty of teams, like a whole bunch, like almost all of them. So I've been like back and forth, Zooms every day, daily. Like it's, a, it's in my schedule every single day. It's been a boatload of teams every single day just Zooming with me, just trying to get to know me, how I play, what I, what type of player I am. And just it's, it's been great just uh, creating those relationships, meeting those new coaches, on GMs, head coaches, just just building that relationship and bond to, just to, to draft day, just wait to see where I end up. What question have you gotten the most? Uh, just, uh, I mean, they basically just ask about my growing up at home, how how it was at Georgia, how I ended up at Georgia. That's that's one. Uh, just how, like, what do I prefer for three, three, four? Who do I compare myself to? Stuff like that. What do you prefer, four, three, or three, four? I may as well ask you if everybody else is. <laughs> yeah, uh, basically, uh, I could do both because at Georgia we did both, so. Whatever it is, I'm good with it, and I can play at a high level with either formation. Either either one, I'm cool. Three, four, four, three, I can play it. Cause that's why Georgia was great for me. We did both, and we, I, plenty of times we did both a lot. So I'm comfortable with either one. So who's the toughest guy you faced in college? Toughest guy I've faced the team or the just person, the player. The guy, the guy that you had to deal with. Uh, the guy that I had to deal with, I say. Uh, I'd say, I say, I probably say Alex, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. He's probably the best guy I faced. Who's the guy you're looking forward to facing at the next level? The next level, definitely. Uh, I probably say, I say, hmm, this is tough. I mean, there's this a whole bunch of great players at the next level. So any, any of them, to be honest, really just to be able to be on that stage would be big for me. Just to be out there competing with the best of the best. You know, I'm in the best league, so the best of the best is able to do it. Every Sunday is a competition. You know, you're going to get the best from them, and I'm going to give you the best. So, anyone, really. Is there any one quarterback you have in mind that you can't wait to get your hands on? Uh, uh, I mean, probably Tom Brady, but he gets the ball out so fast that you never you probably won't be able to get to him. But, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Hey, you got to be careful of that, too. You never know which guy's going to end up being your teammate, the way this all unfolds. Do you have 
and, and I've talked to different guys about this over the years. One of the things guys do, they get on Madden, they make the player of themselves and they check out different uniforms and see how they look. Have you done anything like that to see, see where Aziz Ojolari is going to look best in an NFL uniform? No, I actually haven't. I haven't really done. When I usually play Madden, I usually just play like online, head to head, or I just might play against my friends. But that's it. I ain't really, I ain't make no player or nothing. So I don't know. Do you have an idea of the range? You know, when the window is going to open and when you expect it to, to be closed by where you're going to be drafted a high and a low? Mm, I really don't have no range because I really, I really don't know. I'm not going to lie. I'm not. Uh, I just, I prayed somewhere in, in the first round. Definitely, for sure. That would be a blessing for sure. So we'll see on the 29th. You had that torn ACL in high school. That doesn't happen very often to high school athletes. What was the hardest part of getting yourself back to 100%? Because I, I assume a lot of what you have to do is stay within the boundaries of the rehab. And when you're young, you want to do everything. And it's got to be frustrating to just do the things you're supposed to do and nothing else. Yeah, so uh, coming in, I was a freshman. You know, I always wanted to play as a freshman, but and everything but the dream it was different everything for me was different because I came in with the knee and so it was just like yeah I gotta do this I gotta I gotta get back healthy that was the main focus for me to just get back healthy and just know my opportunity would come and I just kept getting my head down kept working every single day I just knew that the day was gonna come the opportunity I was gonna be blessed with the opportunity to play here in Georgia one day and I just kept working every single day just keeping the main thing the main thing just making sure just getting back healthy that was my main thing just to get back healthy and I know everything will play its part. So that's Who's a better pass rusher, you or your brother? I say me. Me. <laughs> what would he's he say? Uh, he'll, he'll probably say him. But <laughs> it, it, we got that competitive mindset every single with everything we do. But I, I say me. I say me. He's still learning, and we. I'm not him too. But you ran that four six three in the forty at your pro day. How did that fit with what you had hoped to do? Faster, slower, or right where you wanted to be? I say I could hit. I feel like it could have been faster for sure. Probably in the four five range for sure. Low four fives for sure. I feel like it could have been faster. If I had cleaned up a little more, a little bit of techniques on my starts, that would have been way faster for sure. You got a great family story and a rich history. Your grandfather, Prince Twin Seven Seven, from Nigeria, a Nigerian prince. I know as of a few years ago, you hadn't been to Nigeria. Have you been there yet? If not, when are you planning on going? No, I haven't been there yet, but definitely will definitely be go there for sure. I'll definitely be there one time soon, soon, very soon, actually. Uh, whenever I get an off time or any free time, I definitely will want to plan a trip there for sure with my family, definitely. One thing that I saw that really resonated with me, the thing that your grandfather said to you when you were 10 years old, Aziz, you were quiet, you were going somewhere, you were going to be somebody. What kind of an impact did that have on you at that age? And what kind of an impact does it have on you still today? Yeah, definitely, man. It's, it's big. It's a big impact on me. Just believing in him and myself, and just knowing that people believe in you, your loved ones, and just knowing that they see it, they they, they done seen, it, they done saw it already, and he's just kept believing in me. And now the moment is coming here, and I'm just ready for it. And I just been praying and just just keeping my faith in God, and everything's is where everything's working out for me well. And it's just I'm just thankful for sure. Now you're six three. How tall is your brother, BJ? He's about six three, the same height. I saw a picture of you with your parents. Unless you were standing on a box, you're a lot taller than them. How's that happen? <laughs> oh yeah, nah, uh, yeah. We, I'm definitely way taller, but our grandparents are definitely tall. So we probably we get it from them on that side, my mom's side for sure. When when you are with your brother and it's time for a picture, which guy gets up on his tiptoes? 
Nah, nobody. <laughs> you the same height, so it's like I'm a, I'm a little taller than him by a little bit, but he, he's going to probably pass me. So you're the one that gets on your toes. Nah, I'm, I'm already, you know, he gets on his toes. <laughs> he gets on his toes. Uh, that's great stuff. Hey, Aziz, we wish you all the best. Congratulations on your career so far. We can't wait to see what happens for you coming up in the draft, and uh, we look forward to seeing you blossom and flourish as an NFL player. Congratulations on all your success and all the best moving forward. Hope to talk to you again real soon. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Th- thanks for having me. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.